0: If you have your Bibles. We're going to be beginning in Psalm chapter 37. Before we read that, in the book of Genesis, the 32nd chapter, we read a section of the story of Jacob's life where he has an encounter with the Lord, wrestles with the Lord all night, and the conclusion of that struggle... Jacob's thigh is touched. The whole of his thigh is touched. It's damaged. The sinew shrinks. And the scripture tells us that he walked or he halted. I think the King James says he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. This account has often been used, and I believe accurately used, as a picture of how when we experience God, it changes the way that we walk, it changes the way that we live our lives. And uh, it is an appropriate parallel, I believe, because our lives are really about a consistent journeying. Not always from one physical mark on a map to another, but a journey of growth, a journey of purpose, and a journey of direction as the children of God. And the Lord has spoken to us through the gifts this morning that He loves us as His children. And that journey is about the lessons that are learned, the mistakes that are made, and somebody said amen the grace and the mercy of Jesus along the way, and ultimately his faithfulness that keeps us unto the end. Even when the scripture talks about this walk with God and describes it as running a race, it is in no way a sprint in which the athletes explode out of the blocks only to reach the finish line in a matter of seconds. But rather it is as David said in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. David's words do in no way imply something that is over in the blink of an eye. But a long path that he was able to look back over, he could see his incredible victories. He probably didn't know how many times the story of David and Goliath would find its way into sermons in the 20th century. But he could see that, he could see his terrible failures as well. Heartaches within and without his family, but also great joy. When you read many of the Psalms that David wrote, there's a lot of expression of his life. There's declaration of the wonder of God, and there's times of feeling abandoned and forsaken. But the consistent message is that God was with him. Because through it all, he knew that his God was a faithful God. And as long as he could find a place of repentance... God had enough forgiveness to still restore his soul again and again. So this morning, my message title is simply walk. Talk about walking this morning. During the period of history that scriptures were written, the whole span, walking was the normal mode of travel. We don't read anywhere that Jesus got an Uber or that the disciples got on a train, but they walked from village to village. And sometimes much longer distances than that as well. I know there were some other forms of transport, particularly for those that had money. But for the everyday people, they did an awful lot of walking. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for about 40 years, walking the whole time. That wandering was a consequence of their lack of faith. And yet, as a reminder to us of God's goodness, even though they were in some way suffering a consequence, God still provided for them. He still protected for them. He still took care of them miraculously during that season of struggle. Manna was provided from heaven to keep them fed. Water flowed from a rock that defied science. And shoes that didn't wear out. There are plenty of ladies here that might consider that some sort of a trial, that their shoes didn't wear out. And Sister Vanessa spoke to us, I think it was last weekend, about the KPIs in her job. She sells shoes, in case you didn't know. She'd have been in trouble in the wilderness because nobody would have needed a new pair of shoes. But these, this miraculous provision was a fantastic display of the goodness of God. Of how, even though there were consequences for their actions, they were not abandoned. God did not discard them. He did not say, He let them know there was suffering, but He was with them every step of the way. And that reminds me and encourages me that even when I make mistakes, And even when I get off the path, a little God is still reaching for me. He doesn't dismiss me in a moment and say, that's another, I just reject that one. But he's always looking for a way to demonstrate his love for us. And some of you may have seen this online recently, but somebody with too much time on their hands bothered to take the time to work out that the longest road or journey in the world that you can walk continuously is from Cape Town in South Africa to a place called Magadan, um, pronunciation may be rough, but that's okay, which is in Russia. You can complete that trip without need for plane or boat because there are bridges in certain locations where they're necessary. That journey is 22,387 miles, or just over 36,000 kilometers. And according to this person, I'm not sure about their math, I had a look at it, I'm not sure how they worked this out, but... They're suggesting it takes 4,492 hours to travel. And uh, they, they think that it would be 187 days walking non-stop or 561 days walking eight hours a day. Now, I did some maths on that. That's, that's still pretty fast walking, in my opinion. Uh, I think it would actually take longer than that. But along the way, you pass through 17 countries, six time zones, and all the seasons of the year. Not to mention... Unlike the Israelites, quite a few pairs of shoes. Amen. That's a journey. That's a journey. I don't know if anybody's ever, you know, it's probably a lot easier to work that out on Google Maps than to actually take the journey itself. Some of you here this morning have been walking with the Lord for decades, many, many years. Some, others here, it may just be the early stages. But those of us that have been around a little while can add our voice to David's with great conviction and say that we have never seen the righteous forsaken. Seen them go through hardship, seen them go through heartache, but never, ever be forsaken. I'm glad for that today. Amen. I've seen children of God through go through incredible sufferings that you would never make light of, but God was not absent. God was always present. And we see this idea repeated through the Scriptures and several times in the time of transition when Joshua was preparing to assume Moses' role as the leader of Israel. In Joshua 1 and 5, the Lord speaks to Joshua and he says, There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, I will not forsake thee. In another time of transition, from David to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 and 20, David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. That's the message right there. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And just in case we think that's an Old Testament idea, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we serve the same God. Hebrews 13 and 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm glad of that today. Amen. A couple of Sundays ago, we ministered about pleasing God. As a part of that message, we spoke about Enoch and how he pleased the Lord to a point that God took him. Genesis five twenty four says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In the context of Enoch's life, and his time period, what happened to him was very unusual. As far as we are aware, it only happened to him. It wasn't just, you know, that was how it was in Genesis. Genesis, people just started disappearing. Enoch is the only one that we are recorded, that we have a record of, rather. I don't know if they searched for him. They went looking for him when he didn't come home that day. I don't know if they came up with all kinds of theories about what had happened. Or where he gone, but I am very convinced that it was a strange thing for his family and his community to come to terms with. Where's Enoch? Who knows? He's gone. You and I, however, are living in a time when that is the hope for all of us that walk with God. Enoch was an anomaly. We are living in a time where we are listening for a shout, we are listening for the sound of a trumpet how in a moment that will be as quick as the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. That's our promise this morning. That's our hope this morning. I'm hoping that's why you're here this morning. That's why we walk with God. Amen. That's what we're talking about this morning. Why do we walk with God? Because we're looking for a hope. We're looking for a home. We're looking for a destination that will not show up on some online navigational system but we are looking for somewhere which will be our eternal home and destiny. And as the old hymn that some of you will know says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. That was in my notes this morning before the Lord spoke to us about, the, about how we belong to him. He wants us to walk with him, church. He wants us to talk to him because we are his. And we have hope. That's why we walk with him, because one day he's going to take us home. And that is a personal situation. Every single one of us needs to know him. Every single one of us needs to walk with him. We raise our kids to walk with him, but as young as possible, we need to encourage them to adopt that for themselves. They can do that much younger sometimes than we think. Amen. You're In this world, you can be guilty of something by association. You can receive stolen goods. You can be involved in a murder without actually committing the crime itself. You can be guilty by association. But nobody is going to heaven by being associated with the church. Nobody is going up when the trumpet sounds by having an association with God. That's why it is so important that every one of us walks with God. Because nobody is going to be raptured by association. It would be nice if you could just hang around righteous people and that was enough. You know, just keep some godly person within line of sight so that when they go up, you go with them. Unfortunately, I don't have Bible for that idea. It doesn't work. It's if if the same spirit that that raised Christ and that dwell in you, you've got to have it for yourself. Amen. We must know him. He must know us. We heard about it in our Bible class this morning. We must know him. We must know about him. We must walk with him. wonder what would have happened if Enoch had decided on that day to stop walking with God. On that day when the Lord thought, I'm going to take him home today, if Enoch had just dropped it and said, forget it, I've had enough of this, I'm going to go and do what this wicked world around about me is doing. We wouldn't even read about Enoch, maybe in a genealogy, but in no other way. But because he continued to walk with God. That means he talked to God. God talked to him. When God said, these are the things I like, Enoch said, I like them too. When the Lord said, these are the things I don't like, Enoch said, well, I don't like them either. Because he wanted to please God. The Apostle John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, and he said, Whoso keepeth his word in him verily or in him truly is the love of God perfected. God's love is completed. It is able to achieve what God wants it to achieve. Hereby know we that we are in Him. And He that saith, He abideth in Him. If you're going to say, I'm walking with God, then you better walk as He walked. That's what it says. Amen. We need to know His Word. We need to keep His Word. We need to obey His Word. But as we said this morning, there must also be experience. There must also be action. There is walking like He walked. We're not talking about his posture. We're not talking about how long each step he took was and trying to imitate him. You see those funny clips where people walk behind people and impersonate how they walk. That's not what we're supposed to do. There's no clip on YouTube of how did Jesus walk. So you can walk with the same kind of style that Jesus did, but there needs to be something about the way that we walk, that he recognizes us as belonging to him. You know, when you, when you know somebody, you recognize things that other people don't see. My wife and I can go to a shopping center and I can be waiting outside a shop for her. Every married man knows what that's about. And if it's a tiled floor and she's wearing the right kind of shoes, I can tell my wife's walk before I see her. If she's wearing rubber-soled runners or something, maybe not. But if she's wearing something that has a little bit of a heel and there's a bit of a clip-clop going on, I know that's my wife. I don't even have to turn around. Because I've heard that walk, I've waited outside a few shops in the last 28 years. And I know that walk well, because she's my wife, she belongs to me. And the Lord needs to look at us when we walk and say, I know that walk, I recognize that, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. Luke chapter 15 is part of the very famous story of the prodigal son. We read of a young man that wastes his substance with riotous living, he spends all of his money and everything wicked that was going on. He compromised all his principles and his values and then he feels the brunt of a famine. He begins to be in such hunger and such lack that he's feeding pigs a job that he would never have entertained doing while he was still at home. Such is his point of hunger and exhaustion that even the pig food's starting to look good. I promise you this young man did not look like he did when he left the father's house the bible says when he came to himself he decides he's going to head back to dad's house and say i'm going to be a servant but i don't think it would have it's an exaggeration to say he would have lost a lot of weight if you're hungry enough to eat pig food you're losing weight he'd lost weight his his hair and his beard were probably long and unkept his clothes worn and ragged He was in a far different condition or state than he was when he left home, in the journey home, because he went to a far country, the Bible says. The journey home in the midst of a famine would have been hard. There wouldn't have been much to eat. He would have been barely surviving, and so he might have even been a bit skinnier. But by the time he got within sight of his father's house, the Scripture says that while he was still a long way off, smelly, skinny, ragged, and almost unrecognizable. The father saw him and ran to him. He may have walked past his father's laborers in the fields that thought, who is this homeless person? Who is another vagrant that's coming to look for a handout in the middle of the famine? But something about his appearance, regardless of his physical condition, regardless of the rags he was probably wearing, the father recognized his son's walk. And it didn't matter how broken and messed up the young man was, he was still recognizable to his father. Amen. When we walk with Jesus, whether we are striding strongly or shuffling slowly, our father recognizes us as his. And if we go astray and we repent and turn ourselves around, he still runs to his children today. Amen. He will not endorse your sin. He will not put a stamp of approval on your carnality. But if you come to yourself like the prodigal son and turn around, when he sees you coming for him, he will run to you. You will go past friends. You will go past family who may not even recognize you. But we have a heavenly father that says, that's my boy that's my girl are you sure yes i recognize how they walk I re- you know when you you close family you can pick them in the distance right parents you know your children are far off because they belong to you it's like when you're in a shopping center and there's kids crying everywhere when it's your kid there's something about that sound that registers with you to every other parent and grumpy man like me in the shopping center it's just another noisy child that a parent needs to deal with But to the father or the mother, that's my child. That's my child. Amen. God, help us to do our best to walk as you walked. For the next few minutes, I want to consider some things that the New Testament has to say about how we ought to walk. Romans and Galatians, I'm going to read them all because it's packed full of both epistles, underline that we should walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That all seems like this spiritual concept, but all that really means is who is in control. Who's choosing our pathway? That's what it really means. Is it the sinful desires of my own heart? Or is it the things that please God? You know, whether you realize or not, there's a fork in the road that greets me every morning. <laughs> Where am I heading today? Every day we get up, there's a choice to make. Am I going left? Am I going right? I'm glad that even on the days I make the wrong choice, he makes a way to get back on track. You know, I'd love to tell you that I get up every day, pray for three hours, fast for two days, and just you know read all of the Bible cover to cover, but there are some days I get up just like you, and the easy fork in the road is very appealing. It's comfortable, doesn't require much work, doesn't require any sacrifice or dying to self. but it doesn't take long to realize I'm on the wrong track. I need to get back to where I need to be. Amen. Romans 13 and 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We ought to walk honestly, bible says that's more than just telling the truth you read that whole verse it means we cannot be involved in intoxicated behavior we cannot be involved in immorality of any kind conflict strife and jealousy these are things that are not how jesus walked these are not the ways that he wants us to walk we look around our world today there is intoxicating addictions of every different kind illegal and legal immorality and fornication are not only acceptable, but are being promoted aggressively. I saw online the other day an article about a church having a drag queen show. Now, i got no problem with drag queens coming to church. They need the gospel as much as anybody else. But promoting that behavior in the house of God, promoting that behavior in schools in young children's lives, it's not just acceptable, it's being pushed upon us. They are targeting children with this behavior, trying to normalize perversion in our society. That's what's happening. You want to talk about conflict and jealousy, everybody nowadays is offended about everything. Social media gives you the platform to tell everybody why you're angry and why they should accept your anger even if it makes no sense whatsoever. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship. One version of that verse says we are his masterpiece and that we are created. What does it tell us in the Bible? Any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. We are a new creation. We are created unto good works. We might better understand that as we are recreated unto good works, that what we should walk in them. I don't know if you've ever been told that you walk funny before, but it's coming. It may not be the way you walk physically. But the way you live, man, we're going to get more and more weird and more and more funny as this world goes down the fast track to eternity without God. People are going to think we walk funny. Somebody might have told that. You might be used to hearing that from the way you walk already. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says what? We walk by faith, not by sight. That means we're not guided by things that are tangible are things that we naturally trust in. Because people of faith believe in a God that we cannot see. We believe in a heaven that has not been seen yet, and we believe in the promise of Jesus coming back. I can't give you scientific evidence for any of those things, but I know the Word of God tells me that, and so that changes how I live, it changes how we walk. Why do we believe these promises? Because everything else that's in the book that I've trusted this far has come to pass every other promise that he's given me that is relevant and applicable for this life he's delivered he's not come short of his word once and so if he's told me all these things and they've come to pass and i'm going to believe him for the things that have not yet come to pass because he's never dropped the ball he's never broken his word he's never let me down with his promises and if he filled me with the holy ghost like he said he would why wouldn't I trust him that that same spirit is going to raise me up on that day? Thank you, Jesus. You know, when you, have, when you trust in the word of God, you've got inside information. Inside trading, they call it nowadays. It's a crime because the idea is that you have an unfair advantage. We don't want to have an unfair advantage. We want everybody to have the same advantage. I mean, we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We don't want to sit there with that smug look in our face that says, I know something that you don't know. But we do. That's why this world needs to know. I've shared this story before but when I was in high school, around about year nine, we had a new teacher come to school and I had this teacher for two subjects. Graphics or technical drawing and woodwork. And in the first class I had from him, I think it was technical drawing. he He said I need two volunteers to help clean up the equipment at the end of the day. Now year nine was around about 13, 14 years of age. Not a lot of 13, 14-year-olds, keen to do extra work. Maybe that was just me. Maybe when you were 13, you were all amazing. But not many people volunteered. And so he picked two people from the class. And he said, you and you. And they're like, oh, man. But then he said, and because you do that, you get to go five minutes early. And everyone was like, what? That's not fair. So when we got into the next class with him, and he said, I need two volunteers. Hand went up so fast, nearly snapped my shoulder at a joint. Because I had inside information that if I volunteered, I was getting out of that class five minutes early. And people looking at me like, you're volunteering? What is wrong with you? It's like, and I had that look on my face. I know something that you don't know. And I didn't tell them because I didn't want them to get, yeah, anyway. But we walk by faith because we know some things. I can't tell you exactly what the rapture is going to feel like. I know it's going to be awesome. If I, Well, it's going to happen so fast, we might not be able to feel it. It's going to be so quick. But we're going to become aware of a change very, very quickly. I don't understand all the dynamics of that. When the Bible talks about our bodies being changed, I don't understand what all that's going to be like. I don't understand how somebody that was buried at sea 500 years ago is going to be raptured off the ocean floor. But I trust him with that. Why? Because everything else he's told me. He said, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, I'll provide for you, I'll heal your body, I'll guide you, I'll order your steps, all of those things he's done. And so I'm happy to trust him with the rest. Ephesians 4 and 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Next chapter in 5 and 15 says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We are to walk worthy of the vocation or the invitation that we have received. To walk circumspectly means to walk carefully, making sure that we're getting it right. When we consider what it cost him to give us this opportunity, that ought to impact how we respond, how we walk. When we realize the incredible lengths that God went to so that we could hear the gospel, so that we could be born again of water and spirit, we need to treat that with that same level of respect and reverence. It's not something that we can treat casually, but we need to walk in a fashion that is worthy or a manner that is appropriate. You know, it angered God in the Old Testament when His people would treat the holy things as ordinary or common. And I do not believe it pleases Him when we treat the holy things in our generation as ordinary or common. We need to give him our best. We need to give him our all. I mean, that's what the word of God teaches us. My wife and I were talking recently when she was preparing to speak at the ladies' conference a week or so ago, and we were talking about the widow who brought two mites and gave them into the offering in the house of God and how the Lord was standing there. The Bible says he was over against the treasury, very socially unacceptable. Watching how, people, how much money people put in. How would you feel if I walked behind Brother Thomas this morning watching what you put in the bag? Very awkward. But Jesus stood there watching what people put in. People came in and had bootloads of money and made great display of the, their great generosity. Didn't even scrape the surface of the money they had at home. And a widow comes in and she puts in two little coins that, you know, the Pharisees brought their coins. It sounded like they'd hit the jackpot. <laughs> Widow brings in two clunk, plunk, plunk, and that was it. And the Lord said she has, they've given out of their abundance, but she gave, out of, she gave more than they did. You see, that's heavenly mathematics. That doesn't work when you go to school. You can't go, two mites, no, Lord, I'm having trouble here. He uses a different valuing system. Because, you see, she had suffered. Life had been unfair. She'd been widowed. Those plans of a future life together had all disappeared. Now it's about survival. There's no Centrelink. There's no pension. She's depending on the kindness of others and family if they were there to take care of her. And yet and her all was not very much. But You see, it doesn't matter how big your all is. In the sight of God, your all is all. And that's all he looks at, not whether it's big all or small all. If that's all you've got, he'll accept your sacrifice. If that's all you can bring to him, you know, oh, let's be honest, sometimes my all that I offer him is not much. But if it's all I've got, God, if I'm having a hard time and this is the best sacrifice of praise I can bring, that's enough for him. Amen. He deserves our all. He's still worthy, regardless of how small your all might be. Second John chapter 1, and verse 6. It says, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Across the page in 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We are to walk in the truth after his commandments. The truth about who Jesus is. The truth about how we have to be saved to be born again. See, truth does not belong to a particular denomination or organization. Truth belongs to God. And in fact, truth is God. That's what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Church groups, organizations, denominations, whatever word you prefer, must choose whether they will be established and identified by the truth of God's word or by a blend of scripture and tradition. That, in a nutshell, is why there are so many churches. It's a different blend of scripture and tradition even the apostles in the first century had to deal with strange beliefs and ideas that were making their way into the church you read through the epistles they're they're correcting they're guiding they're saying don't listen to this don't listen to that idea that's not of god you read revelation when the lord has john write to the churches there's doctrines that john's trying to sort out if they had to deal with it in the first century why in the world wouldn't we be on guard to deal with the same things today that's why we talked about it last Sunday night that we were to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Truth matters. Doctrine matters. It matters. You cannot change the recipe and get the same results. You know, I've shared this before as well, but it's, it's always a, a good example. You know, I used to work, the place I, I did my trade in North Queensland was a, a French patisserie, and we made really nice stuff. And then you'd, you'd, somebody would come and they'd have something and say, oh, that's amazing, would you share the recipe for that with me? I'd say, sure. I'd give them the recipe and they go, how many eggs? How much butter? Oh, that's expensive. It's like, do you want the outcome or not? If you want cheap, get a packet cake mix you want what you've just eaten this is what it costs but you can't change the recipe and expect to get the same result it doesn't work doesn't well i'll just substitute this for that well good luck with that see how that goes for you and they decide more often than not they said i'll just come and buy it it's easier for me that way but truth matters the recipe matters amen ephesians 5 and 2 says and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We walk in love. We walk how he walked. You walk in love. Love for God. Love for others. What's the first two commandments? Here, Israel, Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the God of the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that second part should help us to understand love. Because some people think love is not hurting anybody's feelings or not telling somebody that maybe they're going the wrong way. But if I love my neighbor as myself, do I want to be saved? Do I want them to be saved? Does that mean that love means I tell them the truth? Now, obviously, you do that carefully and with wisdom. You don't use it like a club. But if I walk in love and I'm going to love somebody else the way I love myself, I don't want to go to hell, newsflash. I want to go to heaven. And if I love my neighbor as myself, I want them to come with me. So that means sometimes I've got to say, have you considered what the Word of God says? And not just religious tradition. 1 John 1 and 7, and I'm nearly done this morning. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin that fellowship one with another connects us back to the second commandment loving our neighbor as ourselves. in fact john goes on later in the epistle to say that if i say that i'm in the light but i hate my brother i'm actually in darkness that's deception right there in john chapter 3 in the gospel of john chapter 3 after jesus has spoken what is possibly the most well-known scripture in the world for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life just a few verses later Jesus goes on to say I didn't come to condemn the world but he said but the reason that people are in condemnation is because light has come but men chose darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil He said, I came to bring light. I didn't come to condemn, but if I offer you salvation, if I offer you deliverance and you refuse to take it, you choose your own condemnation. If he says, I want to save your soul, this is how it happens, and you say, I don't like that recipe, that's your choice. But you choose the consequences as well. And that's what he said. He said they're they're condemned because they've chosen to stay in darkness. When we walk in the light, light reveals. Light guides, light illuminates, light cleanses. You know, there are, when you go out in the sun, it can, it can actually take care of bacteria and stuff, and there are different lights they use to purify things. Amen. it's important that we walk in the light. Light has no fellowship with darkness. That's what the Bible tells us. They're not friends. They don't hang out together. When you walk away from light, you walk towards darkness. There's the only two options. We either walk toward the light or away from the light. Andy Stanley said, just like our eyes, our hearts have a way of becoming adjusted to the dark. We can become comfortable in the shadows because the light reveals. If we're going to walk as he walked, that means we come to him and say, Lord, shine your light on me. Expose what needs to be exposed. Purify what needs to be purified. Take away what needs to be taken away. Amen. John 3 and 21 says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. If you want to do the truth, you come to the light. Why? That your deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So you can, God can see what we're doing. He can either approve it or He can change it. That's why we walk in the light. We are to be a light in a dark world. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but right now I'm looking at a room full of potential Enochs. (laughs) Every one of us is looking for that hope. And if we're like Enoch, we're walking with God. We're walking with God. Maybe today he's going to take me home. Maybe today the trumpet's going to sound. I'm going to walk with God. You know, there are times serving the Lord may feel as long as that walk from Cape Town to Russia. But one day at a time, whether you're striding out like a power walker or you're barely shuffling, keep walking. Stand with me if you would this morning. Hallelujah. He's coming to take us home, church. I want to challenge us today. Let's walk with him. Let's walk with him.